Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Build Value by Choice. I am your host, Nana Bonsu, President and CEO of Infinite Horizons Incorporated. We offer a unique system and methodology that helps business owners stay competitive in any environment. We also help you scale and grow your business more efficiently. You can check us out at www.infhorizons.com and book an appointment to learn more about how we may help you. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave us a rating or review. And also don't forget to leave us a comment on the show's Facebook community page to give us a feedback on the episode or tell us whatever topics or guests you'd like to hear from in the future. Also, I have a free ebook for our guests, listeners who are in the services industry. You may go to https colon forward slash forward slash bit bit.ly forward slash productize with a Z ebook one, one word, productize ebook one to download it for free. It's an ebook to help you productize and scale your business more efficiently. Now on to today's guest. My guest today is Noah Healy. Noah is a professional developer, founder at Cordesk and recreational mathematician who has become an expert on game theory and designing marketplaces. He's born and raised in Charlottesville, Virginia, and he's discovered a superior form of marketplace and is working toward the adoption of this technique to upgrade the economy. He has diverse interests, including philosophy, cooking, and fiction. Building on breakthroughs merging physics and mathematics in the 20th century, he has developed a patent-pending system to supersede commodity markets. He usually talks about shifting financial systems to make production more profitable, increasing the economic potential for everyone as a result. Welcome to the show, Noah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Give me your background. Today, I wanted to discuss the topic of strategic planning using game theory. I wanted to start off by asking what got you interested in the uh, game theory? Uh, Well, as a recreational mathematician, I effectively collect uh, mathematical techniques. And um, while this can have drawbacks because I don't necessarily go as deep into subjects as, as some of the experts and and breakthroughs, it does give me a very wide array of tools that I can apply to the situations that did come up as as I'm in my professional career. And so game theory has been one of those that I've been toying around with uh, for decades now. Can you tell us what the simplest form of game theory is? Uh, the simplest form of game theory and the where game theory began was in two-player zero-sum games. This is games where uh, one person's victory is the other person's loss, uh, and they would encompass things as complicated as chess and go and things as simple as tic-tac-toe or rock-paper-scissors. Okay, so how can uh, the game theory be used in business or strategic planning? Well, game theory, I I like to say it's one of the worst names in in human history. It's essentially the mathematics of strategy. So um, if you're engaging in strategic thought, you are engaging in game theoretic uh, uh, calculation. the framework uh, and the mathematical tools that exist give you a very strong foundation for writing down and then manipulating uh, the strategic situations that you find yourself in, in a way that can be productive. Um, In particular, uh, John Nash gained fame through the film, A Beautiful Mind, and his Nash Equilibrium identified that uh, games will actually typically have idealized uh, strategies 
and that by applying these strategies, we can maximize our outcomes. Uh, and that's obviously a, a valuable endpoint. Great. Can you tell us an example of how Game Theory was used to make a specific business decision? Well, the most famous uh, instance of Game Theory guiding strategy was the Cold War, um, which leads to a rather intriguing thing about game theory. It's a branch of mathematics that was classified for its inception, um, which leads to some rather curious things about the, the teaching and learning of game theory. But the, the uh, mutually assured destruction uh, strategy that was embraced by the United States of America uh, and and their, that guidance in how to build out the nuclear arsenal uh, was actually guided by game theorists. Well, what's the most complex form of game theory? The thing about game theory is that it gets complicated extraordinarily quickly. At sort of the most basic level, uh, it's about different agents that have choices and how those choices interact with one another. So if there's two players and they each have two choices, then there are four possible outcomes of those two choices. And each, each one of those players could have differing perspectives on each of those four possible outcomes. Um, there are four factorial squared, basically 24 squared, 576 different two-player, two-choice games. There's some reductions to that because of symmetries and so forth of the game grid. But So, so uh, just before you go further, because you know, not everybody's mathematical. So factorial means that you take the, you know, the number four and you multiply by every single digit that's lower than it, right? So four Correct. times three times two. Okay. All right. Yes, go ahead. I just wanted to kind of, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to make sure. Sure, sure. Well, that's, yeah. that's, that's a... That's a good one. So now imagine a game where uh, people are going to mutually shuffle something, um, perhaps themselves. So say a five-player game, mm -hmm. the number of choices of shuffles of the five orders that each people would have would be itself a factorial. So each person, five factorial is 120. Each person has 120 different orderings that they could they could propose. Since each of the five people has 120 different orderings, you would multiply 120 by itself five times and get a number in the neighborhood of 24 million. You would then have 24 million possible outcomes of these various shuffling proposals. That would be 24 million factorial. And since there's five different perspectives on each of these conceivable clashes of, of decision making, that would be 24 million factorial to the fifth power. Now, 24 million factorial is just ungodly big. That's a number that's makes a Google look like a grain of sand compared to the universe. And then multiplying that number by itself five times is enormous. And we've basically done nothing more than propose a game the, the set of games that would be involved in five people each shuffling up five cards and then presenting them all at the same time. So the the growth of strategic complexity without without some sort of binding or bounding uh, uh, system uh, becomes absurdly large. Uh, and so the complexity that game theory can conceivably encompass is is 
well beyond the bounds of human imagination. Okay, so for a business owner whose immediate concerns are like payroll or trying to do things more efficiently, and of course, you know, longer term, you know, thinking about growing your company because if you're not growing, you're dying essentially, uh, and maybe even thinking of how they can compete against larger businesses. What is what should be their practical um, takeaway from game theory, and why should they want to want to learn more, understand more about game theory? Uh, I think the key thing is by creating a system that allows us to think about things in terms of incentives and outcomes, um, we can create situations which are to our structural advantage. Um, When you're a kind of small fish, this is not such a big deal because you're mostly about execution and so on. And so if, if it's basically all about getting that next client in so you can make payroll, so you can get the next client, so you can make payroll, heads down, execute totally the right thing to do but you know that's a that's a death march um if you if you're not going to grow up to be big enough to be able to make strategic decisions and have an effect on the world then eventually you're just going to get ground under that kind of treadmill and so once the time comes that you are going to be able to take a little bit of time and come up with some kind of system to incentivize your employees incentivize your customers change the structure of how you compete within the marketplace, any of those things, that's where the tools of game theory will allow you to maximize the value of that time and make it worth your while before you get back to running the business. I want to dig into this topic of cooperation and cooperative strategies. How does game, game theory come into effect in that? Well, that's the that's sort of the next stage. The we started with zero sum games where one player wins, the other player loses. Um, but in those sort of large set of possible games among multiple players, some of the most interesting ones are the non-zero sum games, the ones where both players can win, both players can lose, players can have sort of mixed values of gain. And those are much more prevalent in the world around us. We see symbiosis in nature. We see parasitism in nature. We see a large number of of different kinds of relationships, even predator-prey relationships. Predators can actually help prey animals by keeping their populations in check and stopping disease outbreaks or, or other kinds of degradation of, of the, the stock. So by coming up with ways to cooperate more effectively, that's where game theory steps in. What you're mostly going to be looking for is either situations where cooperation is already a natural part of what's going on. So for example, employees and customers um, have a cooperative relationship uh, to, to a large extent, uh, or where you're close to a cooperative relationship. And by adding incentives or penalties, you can essentially create cooperative relationships. And that's where you can get into these sort of broad-based collaboration type situations, which can be very beneficial. Are there any pitfalls to using game theory? Absolutely. Probably the single worst pitfall is has to do with the incentive structure that game theory is based off of. And the key thing there is to understand that incentives are important from the point of view of their receivers. Um, 
So like if you're trying to motivate your kids to do something and you're going to give them like a, a sucker, like a, a cherry sucker or something, and the kid doesn't like cherry candy, well, you're like offering them a punishment to do work. That's not going to that's not going to work out for you. You know, you're not going to get what you're looking for. If you sort of haven't checked in uh, to find out where the interests actually are, you can run into situations where you sort of assume too much. And that's that that can be very bad because when you're assuming somebody won't do something because it's against their interests, but that's because you think you know what their interests are and you're wrong about that, then suddenly they can start surprising you. Okay, great. I want to pivot to your patent. Uh, if you can tell us about your patent system and with the current financial markets being in turmoil, it's almost like we're going from financial you know, crisis, economic crisis, geopolitical uh, capital markets crisis. So what do you view as what's going on with the financial markets and for people in the financial industry or financial services industry, how can your patent system help? Because I know you're trying to you're trying to rethink how the you know, the, what you work on can help uplift everybody in the economy. Well, market turmoil is a, a big subject and it has a lot of contributing factors. Um, but it's also contributing to a lot of those factors. One of the worst parts of market turmoil, um, when you examine the markets from a mathematical sort of game theoretic algorithmic perspective is that modern technology is essentially overstressing the marketplace. I've made this point before when we went from sort of ox driven plows to to tractors and you know kind of steam diesel plows uh, we couldn't make plowshares out of wood anymore um, because the pressure and force was too great. We had to start making them out of steel or iron at that point. Um, so the same sort of situation exists. Markets, which have been successful for centuries, were built on and around the limitations of human minds and speech and communication. And computers transcend those limits in ways that are causing the markets themselves to lose their capacity to provide the stability that we depend on them for. So people in these industries need to recognize the fact that they are actually in a declining industry, that the, the value of the service that they're offering is diminishing because the technology that we're developing is making that service worth less than it has been. Um, and and that's leading to many, many cracks in the situation. Uh, and of course, the response so far has been to double down, increase intensivity, broaden financialization, which is simply placing more stress on the system and will cause a larger and larger crack up. And we're seeing, you know, Japan is into its third lost decade. We've had numerous serial bubbles over the last few decades in this country. Um, there have been a few notable crashes in Asia and Europe and so on. And those sorts of things we can expect to see increase in frequency and severity um, because we, we, have a, we have a system that's simply overstressed. Uh, my patent is on a 
an approach to operating a marketplace that does not have the same algorithmic limitations and thus can sort of stand up to the strain of globalized computer communication. Uh, and so it would be able to allow uh, parts of that industry that wanted to get back to providing the service that has allowed financial houses to exist for centuries uh, to get back on that track and provide that service to people. So the, and we're gonna, I'm gonna pivot back to how people can get in contact with you to learn more about that. But um, so the, now that, you know, as people need to, basically what you're saying is people need to rethink um, their role in the, in the financial services economy or ecosystem, because the technologies are basically displaced and are gonna be displaced and making a lot of the um, human services obsolete. Where do you think the opportunities lie? Should they just kind of leave that industry completely or should they pivot to a different kind of area within the same sector? Pivoting it to different areas within the same sector is actually what's leading to the breakdown. Um, mm. The What's happening is that because of the speed and danger of these marketplaces, sort of extra services are growing up around those marketplaces to create more and more buffer zone between the end users and those markets. But that buffer zone is at all cost, and that cost is a deadweight loss. Um, if, if you're paying more for what is effectively the same service, then you're losing out. And, and the trade-off um, is coming out of other things that you could be doing. Now, some of that will be frivolous. You know, maybe you don't take quite as nice a vacation because you have to pay more to your banker. Um, but some of it will be critical as well. Uh, and particularly in the commodity space where businesses are operating at low margins, trade-offs are going to come at the expense of production and, and capacity improvement. And since we are in a time of rapidly growing populations, capacity improvement is obviously of vital importance. Okay, how, um, I just wanna just kind of, in a nutshell, how can, what are the two or three main takeaways that you know people can take away with as far as applying, um, applying game theory to help them make better decisions or even uh, in terms of competing better, in terms of you know, forming alliances. And then, um, you know, just if people want to learn more about your patent system and how they can um, use it to operate better in the economy, how they can do that. In terms of using game theory to help yourself out, um, the first thing I think is to, uh, to use another not terrifically great named thing, war game out. Uh, your situation uh, and and try to gain the the knowledge or empathy required to really figure out how the other agents that you're interacting with, whether they're competitors, employees, customers, or whatever, what they're interested in and what they want. Once you can shift the conceptual space from what people are doing to where their interests lie, um, it becomes much easier to find situations where you can align other people's interests with your own goals. And then sort of self-management cooperative, you know, things you can start 
moving with the current instead of against it. Um, for reaching out to me, uh, the most direct way, my email address is uh, noahphealy at yahoo.com. There's a website, uh, Cordisc, C-O-O-R-D-I-S-C, um, that people can find. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm uh, Noah Healy on LinkedIn. Um, happy to have you. Yeah, thanks. And we're going to have that information to show us now. So C-O-R-D-I-S-C.com, uh, Cordisc, that's, uh, that's your company's website. Um, so again, thank you for, for joining. By the way, what's your favorite war game? My favorite war game? Um, there's a, a fantasy war game created by Avalon Hill called Titan, um, where uh, the players basically have stacks of tokens that they get to move around this complicated labyrinthine board and recruit new monsters. Um, and then when the stacks run into each other, you take them apart and have little tactical battles. And the, the ultimate goal is to uh, defeat everybody else's Titan, um, which you have exactly one of and grows in power every time uh, one of your legions gets gets a victory. So if if uh, just I know I, I said we we're wrapping up, but if we were to um, use it as metaphors in the business world, what would you, you know, what would be the Titan? What would be the the monsters, you know, how would you kind of roughly? Uh, um, that? that one for the business world would be uh, rough. Um, okay. That might be, that might be kind of, uh, uh, you know, one of these like Silicon Valley startup CEO types or something like that. But for the business world, the uh, 18xx train games, there's a large number of them, I refer to as 18xx. But there's a series of, of games that simulate uh, the expansion of trains across Canada, uh, the American Northeast, Germany, many, many other locations around the world, each with their own tweaked out rules. But they're typified by a combination of a stock phase and an operation phase where you get to lay out track and run trains and have station wars and so on. And then... Um, also have another phase where you manipulate the value of the companies. Um, and those are, those are a lot of fun and also uh, give you some insights into the, the kind of business decisions and how things change when uh, control versus uh, ownership of a company and, and what that could mean for you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your insights and uh, look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, that's it for this week. Again, don't forget to leave us a rating, subscribe, share, and also uh, join us on our Facebook community page. Let us know what you think and what would you, what would you like to hear more of or which guests you'd like to hear from. So next week, bye for now.